Welcome to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm Umbreen Khan. Each week, we explore the beliefs shaping our world, our culture, and our politics. Originally, we'd planned a different broadcast this week, but our plans changed after I spoke with Susan Bro. You might not recognize her name, but I suspect you've heard of her daughter. Five years ago, Heather Heyer was killed by a white supremacist who turned his car into a weapon of hate, plowing into Heather and others from behind as they were marching in a counter-protest at the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. Dozens were injured. Heather died, and the country was in shock. In the wake of violence, former President Trump made headlines. You also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. Refusing to condemn the alt-right organizers and the white supremacist ideology that inspired young men like Alex Fields to drive from Ohio all the way to Virginia to join others rallying and chanting anti-Semitic and neo-Nazi slogans. Within two news cycles, activists were taking up Heather's name. In her death, she was becoming a public figure, and the portrayals were unrecognizable to her mother. For some, she was a social justice saint. Others saw her as a sinner. In our media world, big stories get three minutes. Reporters and writers appeal to archetypes that signal hero or villain, all condensed for our short attention spans, leaving out the complicated details, which is why we try to offer more on this program. So this week, we're bringing you my full conversation, lightly edited for time and clarity. Susan Bro, welcome to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day, and particularly this week, uh, to talk with me. Thank you for having me. This is going to be an interesting conversation. Well, I hope it is both interesting, and I hope it's one that allows, you know, for listeners to hear you. I, I would imagine that most of the listeners across the country know in broad details, like in broad outlines, the story of the Unite the Right rally that led to the murder of your daughter. I imagine many listeners will remember Heather's name and the story of how she died. But I suspect many people don't know the story of how she lived. And so I am really appreciating your willingness to come on to talk with us about where you are and how you're approaching this five-year anniversary this week. Where and how are you doing? Well, it's been a crazy week. Um, it's I, I, I honestly feel like Heather has kind of shoved all sorts of things in my pathway so I can't grieve this week. Um, what do you mean by that? You just wouldn't believe the obstacles of mundane and um, extraordinary things that have, have come my way this week unexpectedly. 
every time I turn around, there's a new uh, situation, a new um, event, uh, just all sorts of things unexpected have happened. But what's unusual is I really had nothing planned this week. And now suddenly the week is just slam packed. Mm. Um, and it's probably not a bad thing because otherwise I, I have a really hard time. Usually we go away this week, um, out of town and, um, we, we chose not to do it this year. I hear the pain in your voice. And I imagine there are a flood of feelings and emotions that come with each anniversary. Every so often, it hits me. I used to have a little girl. Yeah. But, you know, my situation's not all that unique. People lose loved ones all the time. I mean, we've lost other family members in that five-year period. Um, there is a special ripping away when it's your child. But I'm okay most of the time. Just the grief comes in waves. I I wrote an op-ed piece that was published in Fortune magazine, of all places, (laughs) about how um, I'm not comfortable at the beach. I've never been comfortable at the beach. The waves always kind of freak me out. But now I live at the beach because symbolically, not in real life, um, because I'm always ankle deep in grief and then every so often the big waves knock me down as well Mm. um but then i get back up and i'm okay again grief in waves just sounds so visceral and also so constantly present what sustains you when you get back up what helps you get back up um a will to live, a will to survive. I have things to do. As long as I have things to do, I'm okay. I I call it, we step up, step out, and we move ahead. And uh, honestly, that's what got me through the hardest days of my life and continues to do so. That will to do things included showing up for other activists. Susan would accept invitations that were pouring in from activists working for racial justice. In 2017, she met Reverend Rob Lee. He's a descendant of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. I was listening to the conversation that you and Reverend Lee, you all were having. Susan, you you have become in some ways a mother of the movement um, by simply just checking in on people who are working for justice. Did you feel like that? Did you feel like there were these young people who saw you being able to stand up and step forward? I don't know. That sort of freaks me out if that's the case. (laughs) (laughs) Not exactly a role model. But tell me what you mean by that. So throughout my life, I have been a mother to many children besides my own. Um, either in the classroom or in the home, because my kids would bring other kids home to live with us for a while. You were that. You were that mom. You were that mom. You were the mom that the other kids trusted. Sometimes <laughs> it's complicated because my kids were a hot mess too, <laughs> um, and I was, and I um, 
was deeply depressed very often over the years and um, was even a hoarder for a period of, of a few years when my kids were growing up. Um, people need me for a while. And then when they're ready, I can let go and know that they've at least had some measure of healing, some measure of help and can feel comfortable letting go completely or if they want to come back periodically, you know, for a hug or uh, send an email once in a while. A lot of people call me mama. Um, Some do it for a very brief while and that's okay. Um, Rob now has a family of his own and I don't hear from him so often, Mm. but that's okay. I still kind of keep up with what's happening with him. And um, I don't feel the need to hold tightly, even with my grown children, uh, my own biological children and stepdaughters and uh, adopted kids. My philosophy is I'm not going to bug you. You contact me when you want to talk. I may reach out and say, how's it going? But if you don't answer, I assume you're busy and I don't bug you. Hmm. Um, that's frankly why I didn't know Heather was going to be at the Unite the Right rally. The last time I saw her was August the 1st. The, the last time we communicated was August the 2nd. And um, I cherish those two events. It was a premonition, but we didn't know it was at the time, of course. Um Whenever she got paid or I got paid, we would go out to dinner. And dinner with Heather was always her talking nonstop. And I'm a talker, but I couldn't get a word in sideways with that girl. (laughs) Well, that generally, she would maybe talk a half hour after dinner. But that particular day, she was wound up and um, very expressive very arms flailing around in conversation. She was a hand talker. And we talked for about an hour that day. And then when we finally went out to the car, we just kept hugging and kissing and hugging and kissing Mm. and laughing about it. And I said, well, it's not like we'll never see each other again. She said, I know, right? Mm. And we never did. Um, The next day at work, she messaged me and said, well, I'm setting up one of those retirement things that I want to list you as beneficiary. And I said, well, don't die. I'd rather have you than the money. Well, in typical Heather fashion, she never filed the paperwork, which was fine. Because then I would have forever felt guilty about having that money, having had that conversation. Hmm. But I said, don't die. I'd rather have you than the money. And she said, I'll try not to. Ha ha ha. And we said, I love you, I love you, and then went back to work. That's the last time I ever spoke to my child while she was alive. You've shared your grief with the public, and you have encountered people who see you as Heather's mom and have wanted to support you and honor her memory, you decided to set up a foundation in her name. So uh, what happened was a family friend of my kids, they had set up a GoFundMe. It got so big, it alarmed me. 
and I had had it closed and yet money was still pouring in from all over the world. People were sending in $20, $10, sometimes a dollar or two, but it was all coming like through general delivery to our house, to the mayor's office in Charlottesville, to, um, local churches in our name, just, just all sorts of ways. And so I went to Alfred Wilson, who had been Heather's supervisor, and said, can you help me set up something to, uh, you know, have accountability for this money? I don't think the family should have this money. I think it needs to go to something that Heather would have supported. And he had previous experience with scholarship foundations And I had been a teacher, so it seemed a logical thing to do a scholarship, which is ironic because Heather hated school. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But um, we awarded scholarships based on students who had already shown that they were involved in positive social change and were going into certain professions. So over the last five years, we've awarded a little over uh, $50,000 in scholarships. Susan, it's been five years since you lost Heather, but each year, the platform, the attention, the reminder the significance of Charlottesville seems to find its way back into the national consciousness. And I don't know if that's because white supremacy and white nationalism and ethno-religious populism is something that more people in this country are grappling with. And now reflectively looking back, going, what did we miss? Or look at the import of what Charlottesville was that we may not have recognized then. Or if it's something else, I don't know, but that's how I see it. How does it feel from your perspective? What has it been like for you for the last five years? Well, the last five years, I keep thinking this is all going to die down. It's all going to go away. And it took me a long time to kind of wrap my head around the fact that, okay, this is a little more significant to history than I was willing to allow in my own mind. Um, And if it's necessary that it remains so, then I will adjust. Um, I sort of carry a little bit of armor around me now that I didn't always have before or I had, but for different reasons. And that is that I never know if I'm reading a story if I'm um, listening to an interview on TV or maybe even the radio, it's not unusual for something to come up about Heather or Charlottesville. Um, Heather hire was a buzzword. Um, Heather is a symbol. It's not, I call it the myth and the reality are two different people. The person the face that was put out there as being representative of Heather was not how she looked on that day. That's actually a picture that somebody in a PR firm picked out from her Facebook group. Um, 
she was probably 21 in that picture. When she was murdered, she was 32. So there's the symbol, and then there's my daughter. And they're not necessarily the same. The symbol, I, the main reason I started speaking out was to quit people making this godlike figure out of her. They were trying to put a halo on her or something. Oh, she loved everybody. No, she didn't. <laughs> she had strong opinions. Um, she uh, marched for all humanity. Uh, yes and no. She marched with the girls in her office in support of them. She did know it was dangerous. She chose to do it anyway. I know how much it meant to her because Heather walked. Heather hated to walk. She worked two and three jobs. Um, oh, and she also had sleep apnea problems. So she was tired a lot. She hated to walk. She hated the heat. She once got herself kicked out of 4-H camp because she couldn't stand the heat. Um, <laughs> and so for her to be there dressed ready to go to work at her bartending job after she finished wearing black, on a hot August day and walking a couple of miles with her friends tells me how much it meant to her to be there because that was not stuff she liked to do. <laughs> hmm. um, but yeah, she's not a godlike figure and that's, that has irritated me from the get-go. And the same with me. I am not the all-knowing mother, the all-perfect parent I was a very moody parent, um, prone to harsh discipline. Um, my diabetes was out of control, so um, I was known for road rage with my diabetes. Uh, I didn't manage my sugar properly. So, yeah, it, it was a tumultuous childhood for my kids, um, including a divorce and numerous boyfriends for a while. And, um uh, Sometimes the power got cut off, and they lived a, a significant portion of their teen years and um, older childhood years in a single wide trailer and um, in a trailer park, and I still live in that trailer. Hmm. So, you know, people get these preconceived notions about other people um, that are not helpful. I say that people should never deify a public figure. Because when they do that, they make it so that they don't have to, let me see how to put this. If, if I think that only saints can make a difference, then I have neatly boxed up that person and put them on a shelf and I don't have to participate because I know I can't be a saint. So that means I don't have to be an activist either. Mm. And that's bull. Telling the truth is a core value for Susan Bro. A little later in the program, she shares an experience with me that she's never shared publicly as we delve into her complicated and at times painful faith journey. I decided that my goal was to make sure the truth was told, but I honestly felt like the funeral would be the last time I would have anything to say, and so I preached my sermon. You're listening to Inspired a production of Interfaith Voices. We'll be back after this short break.
Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you. And let's get back to the show. Listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. This week, I'm talking with Susan Bro. Her daughter, Heather Heyer, was murdered five years ago at the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. The former school teacher is not interested in any euphemisms that soften the edges of the hate that killed her daughter. Murdered by a white supremacist is how Susan Bro always describes it. Susan has embraced difficult truths. As we continue our conversation, she shares them, including reflections about herself and how she parented. Let's get back to the conversation. If I think that only saints can make a difference, then I have neatly boxed up that person and put them on a shelf and I don't have to participate because I know I can't be a saint. So that means I don't have to be an activist either. Mm. And that's bull. There's a hypocrisy that I hear you resisting against and the danger of becoming kind of a martyr in which you're not fully authentically seen in your as, as a full self. But you, yeah. beca- you become yeah. politicized. You become a public relations tool. Well, that's happened. And it sounds like you said no. You, you, it sounds like that's what led you to step out. You don't sound, and, t- and, and correct me if I'm misstating this, but it sounds like you weren't, you didn't jump into the spotlight with an interest of, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take my grief and I'm going to carry on Heather's battle here. When, um, uh... When she was killed, the press was here the next morning. Now, we talked about we're both somewhat from the South. And so yes, funerals, in my tradition, um, always have a preaching opportunity. There's always a call to Jesus moment. And um, while I wasn't having that... Um, I was going to make it a teaching moment 
at the same time, um, I had to decide how I was going to handle the press. Was I going to handle the press? Because I can tell you they descended in mass on this little tiny trailer park, uh, much to the alarm of the neighbors. Um, that's why we don't allow the press here anymore. <laughs> mm. But um, I, I decided that my goal was to make sure the truth was told. But I honestly felt like the funeral would be the last time I would have anything to say. And so I preached my sermon. Here's what I want to say to you today. This could be a storm and a teacup and it could all be for nothing. I could have said, let's don't do this publicly. Let's have a small private funeral. But, you know, that's not who Heather was. Anybody who knew Heather said, yep, this is the way she had to go, big and large. Had to have the world involved because that's my child. She's just that way, always has been, and she will continue to be. Because here's the message. I think the reason that what happened to Heather has struck a chord is because we know that what she did is achievable. We don't all have to die. We don't all have to sacrifice our lives. They tried to kill my child to shut her up. Well, guess what? You just magnified her. You ask me, what can I do? I want this to spread. I don't want this to die. This is just the beginning of Heather's legacy. This is not the end of Heather's legacy. You need to find in your heart that small spark of accountability. What is there that I can do to make the world a better place? What injustice do I see and want to turn away. I don't, I don't really want to get involved in that. I don't want to speak up. They'll be annoyed with me. My boss might think less of me. I don't care. You poke that finger at yourself like Heather would have done, and you make it happen. You take that extra step. You find a way to make a difference in the world. My child had a high school education. My child was no saint. She was hard to raise because everything was a negotiation. <laughs> not, not kidding, but <laughs> you know what? She was a firm believer in whatever she believed. And let's do that. Let's find that spark of conviction. Let's find in ourselves that action. Um, and thought that was it. The, the attention would die down. The interest in hearing me speak would die down. I've always been a talker, which is why teaching was a great job for me. <laughs> but um, for the most part, people have told me to sit down and shut up because I have been an activist about one thing or another over the years throughout my life. And um, I just wanted to make sure the truth was told and that Heather's murder was going to be a call to action and uh, prevent either one of us from, well, it never occurred to me if they'd try to deify me at the time, but to make sure that she wasn't deified in the process. So it was um, always a race to keep it under control. 
uh, more and more people would invite me to speak and tell my story. And I don't know if you've ever lost a loved one, but of course the thing you want to do when you've lost a loved one is talk about them. So I was like, okay. And um, in the beginning stages, I often paid my own travel using the GoFundMe money, which I never felt like belonged to me in the first place to travel with. I didn't even use foundation money for travel until one major trip in 2019. But uh, it ended up that I was talking more about Heather than about what she stood for. And I began to hear people in the, in the black community in Charlottesville talk about the white face that had been put on that weekend. And I thought, oh my God, I have majorly contributed to that. So I publicly apologized, came to a screeching halt with that, and um, have spent more time redirecting people to the understandings of white supremacy, to their own accountability, to the need for systemic change. And in that way, I feel like I've made my focus more as an educator and um, someone um, issuing a clarion call to come help. Um, I spoke at a dinner for the um, Anti-Defamation League when they had me at the Kennedy Center Honors. And I said, my job has been one like a young boy on the beach with his grandfather. So an old tale of an old person and a young person on the beach after a storm and there's starfish all over the beach. And the, one of them picks up a starfish and throws it back into the sea and then picks up another one and throws it back in. And the other person says, why are you bothering to do that? There's too many. And he said, he says it won't make a difference. And the other one says, well, it made a difference to this one. And they threw that one in. So, rather than me being the one trying to throw in starfish back into the ocean one at a time, my new job has been to call for help, to stand up on the the sandbank and call for other people to come help toss starfish back in. Hmm. And um, I'm not always on the front line of activism, but I'm given a platform like today to talk to other people about what they can do I'm 65 going on 66, and I still can be of some help, but definitely um, there are forms of activism that I don't do well with. I don't do marches. I don't do um, outside events anymore since I had heart attacks in January. I can't take the heat, literally. Mm. (laughs) I get dizzy in the heat, Um, and my blood sugar goes sky high in the sunlight for some stupid reason. You have to take care of yourself. You do. And each of us has a unique calling and a unique set of talents. Your talent is as an interviewer, and you're using that for good. My talent is talking and teaching. There are other people who design posters and make movies that help make the point. Um, Each of us has a unique set of abilities, a unique set of connections to people that In my mind, you are called to a purpose and you use that purpose according to what you are given 
according to what's in front of you. And that may change at any given moment. Uh, I don't know if you can tell a difference in my voice and in previous years, but a year ago I had COVID and that left me with lung scarring. Mm. And so my voice is forever altered. Well, that's okay. I can still talk, but I'm more cautious now about being around other people. So all my interviews and events are moving online, Mm -hmm. but I can still be effective in that way. You know, we, we have to make adjustments in our calling according to our circumstances, but nobody is exempt. Nobody is exempt from doing something. Is there some, you know, that analogy of the starfish and inviting people to the bank to join you on that beach and to throw a starfish into the sea, how many ever they can return? What is the problem you're inviting people to join you and to take action with? Well, we've worked on legislative action, and I think that's where some things have to happen. But we also have individuals who need assistance, um, either financial. um, Well, a lot of people just need help financially right now. I mean, there are rent problems left over from the pandemic. There are um, people with major health bills left over from the pandemic. There are people who are hungry from the pandemic because of the financial situation. Um, Those who can help financially, please do so. Those who are good at finding resources, please do so. Please help people. Um, We can fight the systems. Um, I was given an opportunity to help with legislation that helps direct resources to communities uh, for hate crimes. And um, so I did so. I helped bring that legislation about by showing up to speak to senators and um, representatives and um, speaking before commissions and, and whatever I needed to do in that. Heather had adopted a phrase that she put on her Facebook page, and it was, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. And to me, that says, you can look around and you can find something, something of significance that you can do. And if you don't see it, it's because you're not looking. Hmm. And I will say, though, however, this work begins at home. Don't neglect your own children in the process. I was guilty of that as a teacher. I neglected my own children pretty badly um, at times because I was so focused on my job and other people's kids. It's, It's very important. Ministry begins at home. You're listening to Inspired a production of Interfaith Voices, this week a special hour-long conversation with Susan Bro. Her daughter Heather Heyer was killed five years ago at a Unite the Right rally. Earlier in the program, Susan talked about how she didn't want Heather's funeral to have what she called a Jesus moment. Instead, she wanted a teaching moment. As we get back, I want to understand her spiritual beliefs and journey. It's a conversation I didn't anticipate. Susan, I have to say, I interview a lot of people, 
and you are so candid. You have almost this radical candor about yourself, about the reflections, about your imperfections and how you try to walk through this world. What is what are the beliefs that serve as your compass? What is my compass? Um, well, let me talk about my faith because my faith is involved in my compass. So I was brought up in um, a home that was uh, Christian, Protestant, Pentecostal. Um, but my parents themselves are very grounded people and uh, practiced what they preached. I did not see that a, a lot in the church in general, but I did see it in my home. So I grew up in the church every time the doors were open. I grew up uh, living an alternate life at the same time. I was molested in the church by a teenage boy when I was only three, and it wasn't occasional. It was regularly. Mm. Um, it was... Um, it was an experience that led me, when my parents found out, by the way, they got it stopped immediately and they asked church leaders, should they get counseling for me? And they were told, no, she'll forget all about it. It'll be okay. She's young enough. Mm. And instead, what happened was a tape played in my head for the rest of my life until I was in my 50s that said, if you love me, you'll let me do this. Mm. And if I do this, it's because I love you. Because that's what he said to me. Um, and so I grew up going to church every time the doors were open. I went to Bible college trying to make myself a better person because at the same time, I was very sexually active um, on the sneak, um, on the sly. And it's because I thought that that meant somebody loved me. Now, um, when I say sexually active, I don't mean that I had full-on intercourse until I was 21, Nevertheless, that tape continued in my head until I was in my 50s. Mm. And it caused me a lot of problems, a lot of anger at God, a lot of anger at church, a lot of anger at myself. It was uh, one of the leading causes of my depression. And um, so when Heather was killed, that anger at God continued. I had already walked away from the church as a single mom. There was no place for me or my children there. Uh, we were made unwelcome in most any church we went to um, because nobody wanted my children to interact with theirs, lest their husband's attention get taken to me and my kids. Mm. So, uh, there were a few places we were welcome, but not for long. And so we just walked away from the church entirely. And when Heather was killed, my anger at God multiplied. And my anger drove me until about two years ago 
Um, anger was always where I drew my source of energy. Um, so I say my relationship with God is complicated. I get it. I'm still not convinced one way or the other about Jesus because I saw how quickly people deified Heather. But I can't entirely discount the Jesus narrative. I'm kind of confused about that, and I'm not focused on that. I believe there is a higher power. I also believe there's more than one way to God. I believe that there are many ways that God has reached out through many faiths over the, the centuries. Um, I believe that many people have used religion as an excuse to beat other people over the head and murder and kill. And um, I see a lot of hate boiling out of churches now. And um, in fact, some of the, some of the next generation and the generation after in my own family have walked away from the church because of the hate that they've seen come out of churches. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's why I said this whole faith conversation can get real interesting real fast for me. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, when we started this conversation and you referenced some of your own judgments about your parenting and your struggles with mental health issues and symptoms of that, right? When you were talking about hoarding, it doesn't allow me to see you as a caricature or as a deified mom of Heather. It allows me to see you as a whole person. You know, I've seen my own end of the conveyor belt coming twice now. I have abstained from death when I had the option to leave. Once when I had COVID. I don't even remember the month of September last year. That's how bad COVID was. Mm. Um, and again with the heart attacks in January so you're the first interviewer I've told that whole story to you're the first person um, aside from a couple of very close family members that I've told that story to I have no wish to hurt anybody with that I don't know what his circumstances were. I don't even know the boy's name now. Um, but it caused me to, to do really, really bad things over the years mm-hmm. in my quest for love. And I think if we can reach people before, if we can reach young women in a way to understand that, their bodies are not required for being loved. We can do major things. Um, We have sold a narrative to our girls that their bodies are their power and that sex specifically, either the offering of or the withholding of, gives them a measure of control of their circumstances. And while that's true to some sad extent, it's not helpful. Um, It hurts in the long run, and it causes a lot of damage to society. But we also have to deal with systemic issues of racism. And, you know, every issue we know about women, 
and every issue we know about race are all doubly compiled on black women. Just looking at me, I'm white, so I am afforded privileges regardless of what people think, even though I live in a single wide trailer, even though I didn't come from higher status, you know, I came from middle income. I grew up in a little brick house. Um, I'm still white and I still get away with things that other people wouldn't. I really appreciate your, your willingness and your trust to share your story. I think it's time to tell it. I, I, I was trying to wait until my parents had passed on. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it, you know, how that affected my journey. But um, at this point, I think it's it's necessary for me to tell my story so that other women or girls who are going through the same thing can find their way out of it as well. I see too many floundering in those directions already. It doesn't take away from activism for anti-racism as well. It simply... Is added on to it. I hear you saying there are a lot of injustices out there and we can't shroud in shame or in silence the injustices that may be uncomfortable to hear. I mean, I was, had Heather not been killed, I probably would have fought for disability rights. I, I can give you a whole litany of things that are wrong with disability rights, but Honestly, race is the more life and death issue at the moment. My people are from coal country. And so I always had been given to understand nobody had slaves where we came from. Mm-hmm. We were all poor people. Nobody had slaves. And while my dad has a very clear mind of the present, he is now talking to me about things from his childhood and his past that he's never mentioned to me before. And he commented recently on the fact that their neighbor had had a couple of slaves to work on the farm in previous generations. And that family's basement still is the iron ring embedded in the basement wall Mm. where the two slaves were chained up at night to sleep. So, yeah. When we don't know our whole history, we don't realize how deeply embedded these things are in all aspects of our lives, in all aspects of society. Susan, are there any any final thoughts that you'd like to share with listeners who are hearing your words that are saying, say, take at self-inventory, take a step forward, do something? I need everyone to step into their own power. I know it's hard. I know we look at ourselves and we see ourselves as flawed, but we have to acknowledge that we are put here for a purpose. And if you're listening to this broadcast, then you probably are grappling with issues of faith one way or the other. And your faith probably tells you that there is some sort of higher power. So, Understand that you have a purpose, you have a set of talents, you have a reason for existence, and at any age, no matter what your age, you can find a way to make that work. Um, I don't know whether it's works of charity, works of 
legislation. If you're going to send postcards out, if you're going to help register voters. I'm not there to tell you what your job is. That's for you and your higher power to figure out. But you have a purpose. Hmm. Find it. Thank you so much, Susan Bro, for joining me. And I am deeply grateful to you for sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye. Susan Bro is the mother of Heather Heyer. She lives in Greene County, Virginia, where she worked as an elementary school teacher in the public schools for 15 years. She founded the Heather Heyer Foundation shortly after Heather's death, which awards scholarships to students engaged in social justice work. That's all for this week's show. If you're interested in learning more about the Heather Heyer Foundation or Susan Bro, visit this week's episode page on our website at interfaithradio.org. While you're there, you can also learn about us, read the show notes, sign up for our newsletter, and explore the archives. You can find our podcast on Apple, Stitcher, or by searching Interfaith Voices wherever you listen. And while you're there, help us out. Leave a rating and a review. It helps others find us. This week's episode was produced by myself, Kimberly, Winston, Kevin McCarthy, and Richard Carmaker. Thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler, for her vision, and MC Yogi for our theme music. Additional sounds by Blue Dot Sessions and Audio Binger. If you have any feedback or reflections after listening to this week's show, I'd love to hear from you. Please email me at amber at interfaithradio.org. Inspired is a production of Interfaith Voices. We rely on the generous support of our listeners to bring you this program. Wherever you are, I hope you are safe. I hope you are well, and I hope you stay connected. I'll see you next week.